Amen. Amen. Kids, did you see those bikes in the lobby? <laughs> Talk to me later. All right, Seth? All right. Don't you just love how a child thinks? Come on. I love it. I love it. I don't want to ever squash thinking like that. That's how we can approach our father. Oh, I sh I, th that was a good place for an amen. That's how we can approach our father. Amen. amen. He's got good things for you. Children, I just wanted you to see those bikes. We're giving away 100 bicycles this year. We're giving them away in about a month. Um, it's going to be in June. I already have two schools, lists from two schools. We're doing this with the food bank, with uh, Dave Murray and, and also Lyndon and Melissa. They've got connections with the food bank. Lyndon works there uh, in the warehouse, correct? You're like the supervisor or, yeah, but you're the guy that points your fingers and says, do this, do that. <laughs> There's no one. <laughs> but uh, they, they have connections with the school through the Starfish program, which we do on Thursdays. And in two schools, think about this, two schools, they gave me a list from grades, kindergarten to grade five that had 25 children that didn't have bicycles in one school and in the second school. And I'm sure they could have even done more. So we're, we're giving away 100 bikes. I've gone to Canadian Tire, and I, I appreciate Canadian Tire has worked with us. Well, one of the bicycles out there is worth $149 on sale, and we're getting it for 110 yeah, that's pretty good. There's the two smallest bikes are listed at $119, and we're getting them for $60. So, and we're getting helmets. The helmets out there are regular, about $17, $16.99. We're getting them for 12 And then when I went and talked to him, he says, good thing you came in. He says, because we're actually um, increasing the price. So he says, I ordered them right away. And we're also getting locks. Somebody, uh, a company called me that is donating, and they said, hey, did you think about locks? And I was like, ah, no. Um, because when I bring my bike home, I put it in a locked room. But a lot of these children, if they take it to school or if they go somewhere to a playground, they're going to need a lock. So we've got locks, and the Canadian Tire, they were in the neighborhood of 9 to $10, and we're getting them for 7 So... Um, the first 52 that we ordered, because we had a list of 50 and then there was two additional ones, those ones, the gentleman at Canadian Tire, the manager there, went through the, and did all the pricing and the average price on a bicycle that he did on the first 52 that we've ordered was $95. So I think that's amazing. And then when you add the seven, uh, $12 and $7, it's another $19 onto the 95 which is like uh, 114 And then if you add taxes on, we're under $125 per unit average. Now, children, if you would like to be a part of this, you can actually help by raising money yourself if you want to buy a lock. The locks are worth $7, and if you want, you could ask your mom and dad and find out if there's any creative ways that you can be a part of this. This isn't just for the adults. This is for everybody to be involved, and we, we have an entry point of $7, and you say, well, that's not much. Yeah, times it by 100, and it adds up. So if anybody wants to even buy a bicycle lock, I will gladly appreciate and receive the $7 for the bicycle lock. And in your giving, if you give during the offering, which is when you can give, just mark on the envelope, bikes, and then it goes directly into that account so that we don't mix, mix it all up. Yes, and Joshua, who takes care of the records, make sure you put your name on it because then it will be gone to your records and for income tax purposes, and um, you get a tax receipt for that. Awesome. 
So I just wanted to bring your attention to that. We've been blessed, and I'm looking forward to it. Children, you may be dismissed for Sunday school. They're dancing, and uh, boy, they're, they're, they're getting excited for Sunday school. Hallelujah. There's a, there's, um, Dr. Brown is coming. I want to make you aware of this. He's coming in May, not, not to our church. He's in Surrey um, at Pastor Gwen's Church Celebration Life Church in Surrey in the middle of May. I believe it's the 13th, 14th, which is a Friday, Saturday, and then he's there, I believe, even the Sunday morning and possibly Sunday night. But if you go online, um, you will see, I think, uh, Pastor Winona, I think, shared it. Um, so if anybody's interested, he is going to be in town in May. Hallelujah. Anybody here have a need today? All right. Physical, financial, I don't care what it is. If you've got a need, could you just raise your hand? Okay. I, if, you, if you haven't raised your hand, can you look around? And I, I believe God wants to touch people today. And what I'm going to ask you to do is if you've raised your hand, if you don't mind just keeping it raised, and then if you haven't raised your hand, if you could find somebody that you can lay your hands on. And we're just going to take a couple minutes and we're going to pray for one another. So that means some of us will have to get out of our seats and find somebody. And everybody qualifies to pray for someone. So if there's a need, raise your hand. And if you haven't raised your hand, I'm going to ask you just to go. And we're just going to take a minute and we're going to find somebody with their hand raised and we're going to pray for them. Amen? So if you just keep your hand raised. There's a couple here. Amen? Hallelujah. Sean, you got somebody? Okay. Hallelujah. Just start praying. Just start praying. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, you are mighty. You are powerful. And I just ask for your presence to come and to touch everyone here this morning. Lord, we release the infinite power of God Almighty on individuals here this morning. We release that. Amen. Now, there's a few still that haven't been prayed for yet, which is fine. We're going to get to you. If you don't mind, look around. We've prayed for some, but there's still a couple. There's, there's somebody at the back there. Amen. And there's Tyler. Amen. Hallelujah. Excellent. Thanks, Brendan. Harry. Could you join Ken beside you there? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just pray. Just pray over them. Releasing God's goodness. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We got Brother Ken. Would you pray for Sharon? Yeah, right there. Amen. Cheryl, did you get prayed for? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you are the one that meets needs. Lord, I thank you that you are the one that supplies, that cares for, that loves, 
that cherishes, that holds us in your arms. And Lord, I just release your strength, your peace, your health, your wisdom on everyone here this morning that raised their hands. Lord, may we sense and experience a touch from our brothers and our, from our sisters today. And I thank you for that, your precious name. Amen. Amen. Brother Harry, do you want to come? I, I want to take a couple minutes, and, and Harry gave me this amazing testimony. Do you want to just share a little bit? Three quarters of an hour. <laughs> so uh, this whole thing started about a year and a half ago. I was in and out of emergency five times in one week. And a bug clot that went from my calf all the way to my groin. It took him five trips to diagnose it. I went in to see the GP. He said, one or two days more later and you wouldn't be here. Uh, so they've been praying, Winona, and they've been praying for that and a whole slew of other things that I won't take up your time with this morning, but um, really the turnaround started on the last teaching session we had. That Sunday, I had taken Danella into emergency with a blood pressure of 200 over 100. And uh, at that teaching session, I had just had enough, and I went to Pastor David, and I said, we can't deal with this anymore. <laughs> the one notable thing when they prayed for me that night there was a number of them that gathered around me and prayed. But Brenda laid hands on me and she said, Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus on this, this family. She said, by his stripes, Danelda is healed. And by the stripes, Harry is healed. About five minutes later, I called Danelda. Her blood pressure went right down to, I think it was 130 over 70-something. So then, um, can't remember how long ago. It's been there so many times, I can't remember the last time I <laughs> was in an emergency. So they did, a, I was having chest pains. I'd been diagnosed with some type of fibrillation in my heart. went home and I'm getting ready for bed and Danelda looked at the computer because she looks at my blood, pulls it up on the computer all the time. She come flying into my bedroom and she says, your blood test came back on your D-Daimler. D-Daimler blood test is supposed to be somewhere between two and 500. When I had the blood clot, my D-Daimler was 5,000, over 5,000. The reason she came flying into my bedroom was the D-Daimler had dropped to 227. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That is a miracle. Anybody else have a miracle you'd like to, to give good praise to God for? Anybody? Anybody here been blessed at work? Do you want to say anything? Do you want to? I saw a little. Would you? You can. It's okay. Sure. Come on up. God is a good God. And he loves his kids. Yep. Yep. I feel like I'm going to talk really loud. Can everyone hear me? Yeah? Okay, so I work at Sephora as a makeup artist. And so before that, I went through like my own journey of events in my life and was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. <clears throat> so for me, 
as like a makeup artist, that's probably like one of my biggest challenges in applying makeup, just with a shaky hand and everything. So working at Sephora, I started off as seasonal as a makeup artist and then applied to stay afterwards. So I was one artist that got kept on. And then I was like trying to work so hard to do just like makeup and just kind of like prove myself as an artist. And so I was bumped up to full time, which was amazing. So I feel like that was a huge blessing of like I just want to move closer to like the city and just be as successful as I can. And then I got the opportunity to actually help with a fashion show. So yeah, so it was really cool. And like my sugars were really high the whole entire time. But I, I had prayed before going into it. And it was just so incredible, like with God's presence of like how successful like you can be and just relying on him and like trusting him and just knowing that no, like, I can do this, like, I am, like, white as snow, like, I have God with me, and it was just super successful, so that's my little blessing of the week. (laughs) Awesome. Hallelujah. Amen. Anybody else want to give a shout-out to God? You got a job? Praise God. A new job. Amen. That is fantastic. Hallelujah. That is a good thing. Amen. Hallelujah. I tell kids when they apply for jobs to tell them Sunday's busy. Because in today's day and age, too many jobs take you on Sundays. And quite frankly, I'd rather have you here. Amen. Do we serve a good God? Hallelujah. I know there's others here that have been blessed financially and materially, and I want you to know that God cares about you. This morning, Pastor Nelson, Pastor Louise, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Brenda, we haven't had an argument. They've they've gone up to uh, Cranbrook. Last week, uh, or a couple weeks ago, Brother Ron Short was here. His name's Ron Short, but he's tall. And uh, he was here fellowshipping with us, and he, he pastors a church in Cranbrook. And Pastor Daniel and Pastor Nelson have been there on a few occasions. And uh, this week they went up. He also works an, in a recovery group setting, and there was a banquet celebrating some grads. And so Pastor Daniel and Pastor Brenda went up. They took Cleo and Kieran, Bradley and uh, Veronica, and also Olivia, and Matthew and Monique, and their little Olivia, and uh, all for, they they didn't go for a holiday, they had a banquet Friday night, which they led worship in, and this morning, they're leading worship, and Pastor Daniel might be preaching, we're not 100% sure, but um, they are up in Cranbrook ministering, and uh, we can expect to do that more often, and uh, in fact, if any of you would like to do anything like that with them, whether it's Pastor Nelson going up or Pastor Daniel, let us know, and there, there will be opportunities that you may be able to go just to, to watch or be a part of it. Um, there's nothing like having people with you when you're preaching and sharing um, that understand your jokes. Because when you, I mean, I've told jokes in other churches and it just don't work. But every time I tell a joke here, you laugh, and either you're feeling sorry for me or it's just a really good joke. But it, it is comforting when you're preaching to have somebody else around. So if you're interested at all, it typically involves a day of travel just because of our uh, geographic location. So typically it would be on a full day Saturday and often coming home Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Occasionally, it may involve an extra night, either travel there or travel back. But if you're interested, um, that's, that's a way you can train and grow and learn. So, hallelujah. Worship. I'm going to take a few minutes. I want to talk about worship. We've, we spent some time in the last number of weeks, and I, I believe we've, we've grown in our worship. I believe we've understood or experienced things in our worship 
that as we spend time in worship, we grow in worship. Worship is a very intimate time with the king. There's an aspect of worship that actually is a very vulnerable time. The word worship in the Hebrew refers to bowing down. It refers to a dog coming and and licking your hand. And, And in the Greek, worship refers to bowing down. When you bow down, you are basically defenseless. When you bow down, you are basically giving every, all your rights and your abilities, you're, you're passing them on. You are standing there, and bowing down is a position of submission. So when we come to worship, we are coming in a position of submitting to God. So worship, as we look at worship, I want to show you a few things about worship this morning. The first thing I want you to see is that it's all about God. Worship is not about me. Worship is not about how good I sing. Worship is not about how bad I sing. And some of you that have sat around me, every once in a while I get loose and it's like, Lord, I thank you that you said make a joyful noise because sometimes it's a joyful noise. But worship is not about me. It's not about how many songs I sing. It's not about my abilities or my talents. It's all about him. And as we've looked at it, we also realize that worship is not just a song service or a time of singing, but worship is actually my life. Worship involves 100% of my life. Everything I do, I do in submission, in honor, and in worship to the king. Everything I do has reference, has a starting point in the king. When I work, it is to honor the king. It says in the Bible, when you work, you work as unto the Lord. So you're not just working for you. Everything you do has a perspective, a landscape, or a filter that is the king of kings is the one that you're doing it for. And so we looked at worship, and worship is not singing. And I think sometimes we've equated it with singing. And we say, well, let's come and worship. But worship, if you look at it, you find out worship involves your whole life. It involves your finances. It involves your family. It involves your relationships. It involves your activities. As I've been reading the Old Testament, I've read the Old Testament a number of times and I'm going through it again and I'm, I'm in, just finished Second Chronicles and I'm into Ezra. And as I've been reading it, I've been amazed at how so much of the Old Testament relates to worship. And the children of Israel, when they stopped worshiping God, they would start worshiping other idols. And when they stopped worshiping God and worshiped the other idols, things changed in their nation. Things changed in their area of life, in their neighborhoods. And what I found was the Old Testament is a picture of how the children of Israel worshiped whether they worshiped God or whether they worshiped other gods. And by the way, worship doesn't just mean worship God. Worship means whatever you bow down to. Whatever you place in front of you is what you worship. I've met people that have worshipped their vehicles. Pastor Winona and I were on a ferry going to Seashell, I believe it was. And this guy had a nice car, and I'll tell you, it wasn't super nice. It was a nice car. But he worshipped the car. The person that got into the passenger seat had to take their shoes off before they actually got into the vehicle. I'm not kidding. And the, the gentleman that was there, I mean, he was cleaning it meticulously. What did, that's, that's worship. When you put something in front of you, it's worship. Some of us have put relationships in front of us. 
And we will do anything in order to keep this relationship alive. We will do anything to make this person happy. We will do anything to see this person. And what happens is we start taking our focus off God and we start putting it on pleasing somebody else. We've done that with our careers. I believe in working hard. In fact, it says in the Bible, a young man should bear his yoke in his youth. But I also understand that when we do that, we still have a relationship and honor and worship the king. And, and you read these stories of these successful people, and quite often they will say they, they sacrifice something in order to achieve what they achieved. And some of them sacrificed their families in order to get a position in a company. Worship places something in front of you. And today I'm talking about in the context of God. When we worship, what we do is we are placing Him high above everything else. Worship is all about God. My life is all about God. In fact, if you looked at my life, I would hope you would say that I live the most unbalanced life you've ever seen. Because to me, life is not about balance. Life is about God. And I, I had somebody that came to me and asked me if I would be their spiritual connection, literally. And the reason why is they wanted to put me in their back pocket. And whenever they got in trouble, they could pull out David and then call David because David knew God. And in my conversation with this gentleman, basically, he was saying, well, I want to balance my life. And I want to have my career. I want to have my family. I want to have my recreation. And I want to have my spiritual life. And what he was trying to do was balance everything. I'll say to you, if your life is like that, you're putting all these other things, they are going to rob you of your time with God. My God is everything to me. Worship is about God 100%. Last week, Sean shared a great sermon, and he had that picture of his son in the car. And he was basically saying, worship was a vehicle. Worship is a vehicle. When we learn how to worship, it takes you to a place. It takes you. It moves you. It's all about God. In Exodus 20... God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and the first commandment. Does anybody know what the first commandment was? You have no other gods before me. The first thing God said when he gave him the Ten Commandments was you'll have no other gods before me. And you say, well, that's the Old Testament. Yes, it is. Let's bring it to the New Testament, see what Jesus says. When Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, these smart people came to him and said, hey, what is the greatest law? And he says, he's talking to them and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He says, that's the first and greatest commandment. Who are, who are we to love with all our heart, our mind, and our soul? God. And he said, that was number one. And then he said, and the second commandment is that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you look at the, the Ten Commandments, you find out the Ten Commandments are all about my relationship with God and my relationship with others. And he took the Ten Commandments and he summed them up. In fact, it says, he says, if you take these two commands, he says, everything in the Law and the Prophets hinges or depends on this commandment. In Matthew 6, when he's teaching the children around him and the, and the disciples, he's, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is this amazing conversation, teaching that Jesus has. And he's teaching them and showing them the ways of the kingdom. And you'll find verse after verse after verse where he says, you have learned that this or you have heard it been said this way or you've been taught it's been said this way, but I say. 
And he was dealing with acts. He was saying the committing adultery, the act, and everybody was caught in the act. And he says, no, it's not the act, it's the thought. And he says, you've, you've learned this, but I say. And what he was doing, he was establishing the way God looks at things, the kingdom as perspective in life. And he gets to Matthew 6, verse 33. And the preamble to that is he says, you guys worry about what you wear. Anybody here ever worry about you, what you wear? I do. I do. I, I, I make sure my clothes are clean. I make sure that, that I'm, I'm, you know, I didn't wear my black shoes this morning. I purposely put on brown shoes to try to match my outfit. And, and we worry about this. We worry about keeping up with the latest fashions, the latest trends. And, and he says, you, you worry about what you eat. You worry about what you wear. He says, he says, but seek ye first the kingdom. Seek ye first. And he, what, what he was saying was in the perspective of worship, instead of worrying about everything we're wearing and worrying about what we're eating and worrying about this, he says, put your... Focus on the kingdom. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says, and all these things shall be added. And what he was doing was he was rearranging or establishing the priority. Worship, my life is all about him. When I say it's all about him, it's all about who he is. Can I ask you a question? You don't have to answer this. But who is God to you? Is he a sugar daddy? Is he somebody sitting up in heaven that has a pointed hat? And wants to point his finger at you all the time. Is he somebody that is distant? Doesn't hear you? Doesn't know about what you're going through? Because the way we look at God, the way we see God, is the way we worship him. The way we see God, the way I know Him affects how I worship Him. That's why I don't think we ever get or will ever get to a full understanding of who God is because there's all eternity to spend time with Him and to get to know Him. And every day we will get to know Him more. I'm learning. I'm growing. Pastor Nelson who has spent the last 40 years of his life devoted to studying the scriptures, getting to know God, comes up to Pastor Daniel and myself constantly and regularly and says, I just saw this. I hadn't seen this before. If your revelation of God is complete, you need to get a sledgehammer, break it, and say, God, show me who you are, because every day I need to get to know you more. It's about who he is. He tells Moses in Exodus when he tells him to, to, to lead the children of Israel, and he says, I want you to talk to the children of Israel. And he says, who am I going to tell sent me? And he says, I am that I am. What a statement. I am. Any situation, you could, you could have that I am, and then you can have a line after it. What is it? I am your strength. I'm your healer. I'm your peace of mind. I am wisdom. And it's so definitive. Jesus, in John 8, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And I just, I, I am not very good with my grammar. But that statement does not follow grammar rules. Before I, Abraham was, he should have said, 
I was. But no, he says, I am. He, he takes care of everything from there. Before Abraham was, I am. There, now, to the future. In Revelations, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who is, who was, who is, and is to come. That's who we worship. When we come to worship, we worship the King of Kings. We worship the Lord of Lords. Every situation you face in life is inferior to the King. And when you take that situation and you place it in front of the king or above the king, what you've done is now you've taken that and you start worshiping that instead of worshiping the king. And what you worship actually grows in you. Have you ever met somebody that, that you've noticed over a period of time talks in a certain way and maybe they talk negatively? And you'd meet them one day and, and you start talking and they're negative. And then you get to know them and you watch them. And after six months or after a year, all of a sudden you realize everything I'm hearing from them is negative. And, and you know what their outlook on life is? Negativity. And you say, well, what about this? Well, and, and they subscribe to Murphy's Law. Anybody here ever heard of Murphy's Law? What can go wrong will go wrong. And if I'm doing good, just wait. It's going to turn on me. You know, and it's all about negativity. I don't believe in Murphy's Law. I believe in God's Law. And what you spend time with and what you speak and what you eat actually becomes what you live and what you portray. And so if you're worshiping God, that will come out of who you are. It will affect your words. It will affect your speech. It's about who he is. It's about what he is. When we worship God, it's about what he is. What is God? God's a spirit. It says in John 4, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. It also says in Zephaniah that the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. We sang that as children, and he will save and he will rejoice over you with joy. And we will rest in his love, and he will joy over thee with singing. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. What is God? God is mighty. Look at somebody and say, God is mighty. Every situation you face, God is mightier than. Amen? Every situation I face in life, God is mightier than that situation. Lack of finances, God's mightier. Frustration with my spouse, God is mightier. Disappointments in what I've done, God is mightier. Lacking in my skills, God is mightier. Worship is about who God is, which connects to what he is. It also connects to when he is. Do you know that God, it says he's the first and the last. There's nothing that is before God. There's nothing that's after God. So if he spans from the first to the last, that means he's got everything else. Yeah, there's process. Yeah, there's time. Yeah, there's situation. But when I understand that, that that wasn't before God. Before those things happened, he was. And as those things happen, he is. And when those things are finished, he'll still be. Our worship reflects how we see our God. This morning, I believe some of you were touched. I believe everyone that raised your hands, I believe God touched you. His word says that, and I believe his word. And when you get touched by God, that should affect how you worship him. Amen? 
worship. It's about why he is. Why do we worship him? It's about why he is. It says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. You can't get to the extent of his greatness. Now, it says, seek and you shall find. We spend time and we seek God in a finite thing and we find him, but his ways, if we spent time getting to know him, the more you get to know God, the more you realize there's more to him to get to know. The moment you think, ah, I've arrived, you actually sit down and you go, now I understand this, but when I understand this, this just opens up a whole new world of who God is. When you take time to understand his provision, you find out that his provision just isn't a financial thing, but there's provision of health. And you understand that, and then you find out that even before that, there's more to it. He's unsearchable. You'll never exhaust getting to know God. You'll never exhaust getting to know God. His ways are unsearchable. In Malachi 3, it says, I am the Lord, I change not. And this is talking about how he is. Our God is unchangeable. And if you continued to read that verse, it would say, therefore, you are not consumed. <laughs> and when you study and you read, the, I've been reading these accounts in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and they're the the accounts of these kings and what some of these kings did. And it says, and I've been reading it in a different translation, uh, and it says in, in, in the message translation, and some of it says, and in God's opinion, this king was bad. And then it would list what the, that king did and how he walked after the ways of somebody else who turned his back on God. And as you read this, I'm going through this, and I'm going, wow, this is horrible. And that time after time after time, you see a turn or somebody turns and repents, and you see God, re- God responding to that. There's hope. You might say, well, I've done a mistake, or I made a mess of this. I'm here to tell you that because of his mercy, you're not consumed. But don't keep doing it. Accept that and say, Lord, I thank you for that, and worship him. The lady, as we were talking a few weeks ago about worshiping extravagantly, how the girl or the woman brought the perfume, and they some say it was a year's worth of wages. And his disciples actually looked and said, that's a waste. Why waste a year's salary just to wash his feet? And Jesus took that example, and he says to one of the disciples, or one of those that was with him, he says, the one who's been forgiven a lot has a lot to be thankful for. It's When we understand the mercy of God, I thank God that he's protected me, even when I've made mistakes. Even when I've done something, I've done things wrong on purpose. Have you ever done anything wrong on purpose? There have been moments when I've known I shouldn't say that. And I think, no, I want to say that. And I have this little conversation in my head. Don't say it. No, I want to make myself feel better. And then I say it. And I make a mess. And then his mercy comes. And I say, thank God, he doesn't treat me the way I've treated him. He doesn't treat me in the same manner. His mercy comes, his grace comes, and he washes me clean. And he looks at me and says, you're righteous. I died for that. I died for you. And when we understand that, that should cause in me just thank you, Lord, that you didn't take me out when I purposefully decided to speak my own mind and to let things come out of my mouth that I should have never said or that I, I, I wished. Have you ever wished something on somebody? Oh, 
Lord, help me. And he forgives us. If that doesn't break forth into worship and praise, I think there's something wrong. And if, if, if we were to all be honest, I think there's probably something this past week that we've done that God says, that's okay, I forgive you. I wash that away. And when I say oh, it's okay, it's, he doesn't condone. But he says, I died for that, and he cleanses us. And that should cause each one of us to say, thank you, Lord. Amen? And when you do that, what happens is it causes worship to rise. Worship to come up. I thank God for his mercies that are new every morning. I thank God that he is with me and protects me and watches over me. I thank God that he has dispatched angels to watch over David. I mean, he doesn't just send the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, he actually has angels watching over us. Watching you, taking care of you. Thank you, Lord. Man, he didn't just say, here's David. See you later, David. I'll see you in the millennium. I'll see you in eternity. I'll see you whenever, whatever your eschological thing is. I'll just see you at that point. And you just deal with it. Now, I'm just going away. Now. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. When you look at the Holy Spirit and, and the description of the Holy Spirit, paraclete, he's beside you, he's around you, he's on top of you, he's underneath you, he's inside. He's all, like, he's all around. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you take 10 seconds and just thank God that he's with you. Hallelujah. I've got about 20 things. That's okay. I want to read you about 20 things. Just this morning as I was meditating on things and reasons why I'm thankful and why I worship him. And if you've got your pen ready, they're just a couple phrases. I thank God that he's my shield. He's my shield. He's my shield. You write these down and you can Google them, write down shield Bible verses, and you will see the verses where it says he's my shield. What is a shield? It's protection. Things hit the shield before they hit me. I can't imagine how many things my God has taken for me. And what I want to do is I give you these, these 20 items is I want to build your database of praiseworthiness or worship worthiness inside of you. So that if, you're, if somebody says to you, how can you worship, you're going to have 20 things right here that give you a reason to worship. He's my shield. He's my strength. He's my strength. He's my strength when my strength is gone. When I'm weak, he's my strength. It defies human explanation. When I'm exhausted, when my mind is spent, when I'm physically just exhausted from things that my mind has dealt with, he comes to me and he takes over. And he is my strength. I can't get through it without him. I can't. And some of you that are exhausted and tired, you've been running and trying and pushing yourself when you need to step back and say, God, help me. And the amazing thing is, he does. 
He does. He looks at the mess and he says, I love you, David. He's my strength. He's my deliverer. Why do I worship him? He's my deliverer. He has delivered me out of situations I could not get out of myself. And he has graciously taken me in the palm of his hand and guided me and removed me from situations and delivered me when I couldn't figure out how to get out of it myself. He miraculously has done that. Situations that I looked at and I fretted and I freaked out and I worried about and caused me to lose sleep. He just miraculously says, here, let me deliver you from that. And he doesn't just deliver me from things like that. He delivers me from my enemy. It says in Psalm 23, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He's not afraid to say, let's have something to eat. Well, you've got everything else going on. Why can he say that? Because he's my deliverer. Man, can you imagine having a table and sitting down when the world is in chaos all around you and you go, why am I sitting down having something to eat, enjoying God? That doesn't make sense. Yes, it does. It makes God sense. It may make nonsense to you, but it makes God sense to him. He is my shepherd. We used to have sheep. We only had a couple, because that's all we could handle. Can I tell you something? Sheep are not the brightest. He's my shepherd. I am not too bright. I say things without thinking. I think things without saying. I do think my, you know, and it's not just a guy thing. Although guys, if you ask a guy, why did you do that? He'll say, I don't know. You know, so I am guilty, but I'm even guilty beyond that. But he's my shepherd. A shepherd takes care of the sheep. I mean, that's just one word, shepherd. But if you were to study what a shepherd does, when the lamb is hurting, he'll pick up the lamb, carry the lamb. When the feet are hurt or broken, he'll pick up the lamb and he'll mend the leg and he'll hold the lamb. And he's got a rod and a staff. And they're not just for protection, they're also for guiding and he doesn't hit the sheep to hurt them. He will direct them. Everything he does is out of love. We have a picture of God, the Father. And quite often that picture is based on our relationship with our fathers. It's part of the way God designed it, the natural father. And part of the issue is Satan has attacked the family unit. And too many people and children are raised without a father image. And then when they get to meet their heavenly father, they don't know how to process what a heavenly father or what a father looks like. And that's what the enemy has done. And I'm, I'm against that. We need to father our children. And if, you, and if there's somebody that comes in that doesn't have a father, then I will father them also. Because I want them to understand what it looks like to have a heavenly father. And the best way they have is by the earthly father they've got. He's my shepherd. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's the one I call to. These are all reasons and examples of why I can worship and who I worship. My friend. He's my friend. He's my brother. Some people will say, well, you're a slave. Yeah, I'm a slave to him, and at the same time, I'm his son. And at the same time, Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. His, his relationship to me is so profound on so many levels. 
we think it's only going to be this and that. And he says, no, it's this, it's that, it's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. It's, I'm a friend. He's my friend. He's my father. Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. Why can I worship? Because he, he loves me. He's my Savior. Whatever you've done, He has cleansed you from. And it is just effective today as it was 2,000 years ago when He died on the cross. It says in Hebrews, He died once for all. He doesn't keep dying every day. He died once for all. He looked backwards, he looked forwards, and he said, this is complete, this is enough forever. That's, that's like worship worthy. That, that, that kind of like deserves a few amens. That deserves a few thank you, God. That, that deserves like, wow, what is man that... You're so mindful of us. That's, that deserves a little bit of worship. That might deserve, you know, just a little bit of a dance. He's my comfort. Anybody here need comfort? He's your comfort. Not in a weak sense, but in a pure sense. He's your comfort. He's your comfort. I release comfort over you. The older I get, the more I realize life is not fair. The older I get, the more I have noticed the extreme hurt or sadness and the extreme joy, they just seem to, <laughs> the sorrow and the sadness that accompanies life, relationships that have broken down, investment in time into somebody's life hurt when those close to you don't do what God has designed them to do. Sadness when you see pain. And we experience these things. He is my comfort. I thank God He comforts me. He is my comfort. And He's the best one at doing it. I hope I'm giving you some more reasons and some more ways and some more openings or open doors on how you can worship God. Because when you understand these things and when you realize what He has done for you, it just causes your soul to say, thank you, Jesus. And it causes an eruption of praise. It causes an eruption of worship to the King. It affects you more than just the situation that happened. It affects your whole life. Don't just let one moment affect. Let it affect your whole life. Let your perspective and your appreciation of what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has done for you not just affect you Sunday morning at 10.30, but let it affect you Saturday at 3 in the afternoon. Let it affect you Wednesday night at 7 o'clock when you're sitting down and all of a sudden He just moves in this amazing way in your house and you just sit there in awe and He calls you and He draws you. Let it affect you to say, Lord, I thank you. Because worship is not just Sunday morning. Worship is my life. He's my director. He directs my steps. 
says that we make our plans and then God directs our ways. Make plans and then have fun smashing the plans because God says, no, we're going to do it this way. He's my hope. Man, if there's anyone that I can hope in, it's the King of Kings. You can't rely on anything else except for Him. Everything and anything else that you put your hope in will hurt you, disappoint you, let you down. But when you put your hope on the King of Kings and on what He has done, on His name and the blood that He shed, you will not be disappointed because He is the one that is over all. And a lot of our disappointments in life are because we have hoped in the wrong thing. He's my peace. Goes along a lot with comfort. He's my joy. He's the one that gives me all the good jokes. I don't come up with them myself. You can thank God for that. Or you can talk to him about that. He's the lover of my soul. Do you know you have someone that loves you? That just loves you? That just loves you? We equate love with, well, did I do something to deserve this? Why are you doing that for me? Why are you so nice to me? And he just says, ah, I just love you. I just love you. I just love you. I think there's some of you here today. You need to experience his love without strings attached. Because you've been manipulated, pulled, twisted, and turned and played. His love doesn't do that. His love was just poured out on you. He's a lover of my soul. He's my counselor. He counsels me. I've talked to him and he's given me advice. He has given me advice. If you're in a business, you might want to consider putting him as part of your board because he's real smart. He's real smart. He's my provider. Not just wealth and health, but everything. He's the one. He's the source. He is where it comes from. He's my might. He's my tower. He's my king. I've just been gripped with worship this last month and a half, two months. And I have found, and I understand a little bit, and I'm growing in it, but it's through worship that the way is made. It is through worship that the doors are opened. It's through worship that the access is there. It says in, in Psalm 22, verse 3, it says that he is enthroned on the praises of Israel. He's on throne. When we praise him, his, he, he, he comes and he sits, he dwells, he, he comes into that place. When you worship him, he comes and he dwells where that is. Can you imagine sitting in your car and praising him? He will respond. Worship, it's all about God. It's for His benefit, not ours. 
Sean shared on that last week. It's, it's, it's why we worship is for God. It's, and what's amazing is, is he in turn, he just wants to pour things out. But I don't worship to get something from him. I worship because he's worthy. I worship because of what he is, who he is, what he's done. His name that's above all names. I don't worship so I can try to get something. I worship because he is. I worship because I'm human and he's the king. I worship because I've found that there's nothing that compares to my king. And if he does nothing in return, I will still worship. If I don't get what I think I should get, I will still worship. Job says, though he slay me, still I will trust him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you throw us in the fire. He says, our God is able. And even if he isn't, we're still going to worship him. Worship is an abandonment. It's extravagant. It's exaggerated. It's excessive. It's extreme. It's all about him. And I just want to encourage you to stir that up inside of you. That your life would be a life of even greater worship. When we get together, it's powerful. But it's also when you're by yourself that you will experience him moving, him speaking, him touching, him comforting, delivering. Because our worship goes up to him.